All right, this morning, let me invite you, as I have for the past couple of weeks, instead of opening up your Bibles, to open up your bulletins with me, particularly to pages 6 and 7, as we continue this morning our series, Peace on Earth. I apologize for the amount of verses that are printed there under the heading of sermon texts, but I, I wanted you to see how pervasive this idea that we're going to be talking about today uh, is. And so without going into depth, uh, obviously, on these passages in particular, I'm at least going to show you how this theme works its way throughout several portions of God's Word. So far in this series, we have considered in the first place the God of peace. And we saw that in that uh, sermon. Uh, Peace is personal. Peace is not just an idea somewhere that's out there, but it is, in fact, deeply personal and deeply attached to who God is. Secondly, we saw the gift of peace, that peace is not just out there somewhere, but peace has actually been given to us, and that is a peace that manifests itself in the first place as peace with God, and then an interpersonal peace, peace amongst uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, as an inner peace, an inward peace as well. And today, what we're going to be looking at is the way of peace. Uh, And that phrase, the way of peace, I don't know if you caught it there in the Old Testament reading. It was, admittedly, uh, a dark reading from uh, Isaiah 59. But it ended there saying that the people did not know the way of peace. Uh, and, and this is as a result of their sins, the sins that are listed there. And if we had read more of that chapter, it goes on to describe those and to say, in effect, that my, my, my people have forgotten, they've, they've lost track of the way of peace in this world, my way of peace. And then in our call to worship this morning, that theme is picked back up at the end. That phrase is picked up right at the end of Zechariah's song. Uh, when it's described how the light that is coming into the world will guide our feet into the way of peace. So our sins created the separation, our sins created the darkness, so that we did not know the way of peace. And when this sunrise from on high comes back into the world, he guides us then into the way of peace. Let me uh, read a few more verses to kind of set the table for us this morning, and then we'll jump into it more thoroughly. First of all, then, uh, from Matthew chapter 5, in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, or the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then from Luke 19, this Jesus approaching Jerusalem here, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. And then I'm going to skip down one verse, and I'm just going to read uh, that passage, that verse from Romans 14, verse 19 for us. So then, let us pursue... What makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding? Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord of all the universe, Lord of all the earth, 
and Lord of our lives, Lord of peace. Command what you will, and then give what you command. For apart from you, we can do absolutely, positively nothing, and certainly nothing with respect to peace. And so, Jesus, Lord of peace, be with us now as we delve into that which you have given. And we pray in your name. Amen. I I trust and I hope that this upcoming week for you is a week uh, of giving and of receiving. And in a few days, we can talk about what uh, wonderful gifts you either gave to someone or you received from someone. But let's think for a minute of how uh, gifts come in different formats. There are different types of gifts. Some gifts that are given to us or that we give to others are made for displaying. So, for example, uh, I have given Lauren over the years paintings for Christmas, and that gift is made particularly for hanging up somewhere and for looking at. Uh, Some other gifts are made for consuming. So some people may give cookies or candies or uh, something nice to drink. Uh, I, I, somebody might give Omaha steaks. Uh, you know, they sell their thing that you can give to people as a Christmas gift, and you're supposed to consume that gift. Other gifts are for using. One might even say some gifts are for working. So, for example, if somebody gives you a tool, Uh, for Christmas, or a sewing machine for Christmas, or a mixer for Christmas. The design of that gift is to be used, and and some other gifts are combinations of those things, like like a beautiful cutting board. Like, so so if you get a beautiful cutting board for Christmas, I'm sorry, a couple of guys I know out here are making beautiful cutting boards. So if you get uh, that one, this is not a sales pitch. Um, it is not that. Um, but if you get one of those, you might be tempted to say, this is so beautiful, I just want to display this cutting board that I've received. But at the same time, you kind of look at it and you say, it's actually a cutting board, and it's made to be used. It's made to be cut on. It's made to get cut marks in it. Uh, and so you might display it, and then hopefully you put cheese, bread, whatever you would like to have on it. Regardless of what type of gift uh, you have, uh, whether it be that or whether it be a, a piece of clothing, you know, a, a, a sweater that someone gives to you with the intention that it would be beautiful, but of course that it would be worn as well, regardless of the nature of the gift and the thing you're supposed to do with it, we can be sure that the giver of the gift has the intention and the desire for you to use the gift, to to make the most of the gift, to use it for the purposes for which it was intended. And the giver of that gift will delight as you do exactly that. And correspondingly, correspondingly, if in fact you don't use the gift for those purposes, if in fact you tuck the gift away someplace else, we can be sure that the giver will be disappointed. Peace is a gift. It is a gift that is given to you from God. It's personal. It's not a gift card. He didn't say, you know, go pick out whatever you'd like. I didn't know what you'd want, but go pick out whatever you'd like. He did not go 
to the virtual virtue store and pick up peace and say, I hope they like it. Instead, peace is personal. It is given to you. It is personal. It is from the personhood of God. And the gift of peace that God has given to you is a costly gift. We saw this last week. What did it cost God, the Father, to give you peace? The blood of His Son. Nothing less than the blood of His Son was paid to give to you the gift of peace. And it is not intended, as beautiful as it may be, to be a lovely trinket that sits on some kind of curio cabinet that you have and just is beautiful for display. Peace is beautiful and rugged, tough. It is given to you to be used. You won't break it. It comes from God. It comes from his personhood. You can use, and he would be delighted if we would use, the gift of peace that has been given. He has given it to us, and we are to do something with it. In other words, to use the words that we've read even already in the service, we are to make it. We are to walk in the way of peace. We are to, use another one of these passages, live in it. Okay? it it's, it's peace to be lived in. Peace, then, is dynamic. You don't use up peace. The more, in fact, you use the gift of peace, the more you get of the gift of peace. It's dynamic. It's not a static thing that God has given to you. So here's what I'd like to do for the rest of this sermon. I just want to divide it into two parts. The first part, what we want to see is the clarity of the command as it relates to peace, the command of peace, and then how. Okay, if we've got a command, then how do we implement, how do we do that command? So first then, the command. I trust you can see if you've looked over the verses that are there in your bulletin on pages 6 and 7, the verbs that are used in some of these passages in the Romans 14 one that I read, so then let us pursue what makes for peace. In the Second Timothy uh, passage uh, on page 7, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Or if you look at the uh, First Peter 3 section there, we, we should, uh, verse 11 down there, seek peace and pursue it. Now, it would be easy if these were the only verses that we had uh, uh, about peace. We could understand if we looked at these in isolation and we consider these passages, we might get confused. We might think that peace is something that we don't have, and therefore it's something that we have to create. We have to do these things. It's something we don't have and therefore have to go after it, have to seek it, have to pursue it, have to find it, have to strive after it. As we've seen, that's not the biblical picture that is intended at all. The gift of peace is wonderfully given, and in light of a gift given, we are then to strive after it, or to say it another way, we're, we're to practice it. 
We're to use that which has been given to us. We are all, all of us, painfully aware of the fact that we don't yet experience peace in our lives, peace in this world fully and completely. And the biblical call with respect to that is not merely, not merely to grieve the gap that exists between the idea of peace and the reality or the lack of reality of peace that we experience. We're not only called to mourn that gap, although we are called to mourn that to be sure, Instead, what we're called to do in this world is to bridge it, to to bridge that gap. When you have peace and you see the lack of peace, what you are to do is to seek to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, said our Lord. We are to participate then in peacemaking, in the extension of of the peace of God. We don't have time and we won't look at all the context for the verses that are here before us today or the ones that have been before us in earlier weeks, particularly the benedictions with which we started this series, all of those benedictions, may the God of peace be with you. But many of those, just to to illustrate the example, many of those are actually given to us, whether it be a command or whether it be the benediction, They're given to early churches who were, frankly, experiencing a great deal of conflict within the church, a great deal of conflict with one another, within the membership of the church. Uh, And and Corinth is a prime example of that. That's at the top of page uh, 7 there. We've been studying uh, 1 Corinthians in Sunday school. And we've seen the conflict that existed in in that church, the disagreements that existed there, and Paul instructs them, listen, you've got to live together in love and peace. You've got to pursue this. You've got to aim for restoration so that the God of peace will be with you. The front of the bulletin uh, instructs Israel, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and thereby instructs us, pray for peace. You've got to strive after it. You've got to pray for it. You've got to want to practice and to make peace. So to summarize the command section of this, peace given becomes an imperative. Peace given becomes to us a command. Uh, Instead of looking at peace and bemoaning the absence of its full expression in the world, instead of doing that, we are to strive, to pursue, to practice, to make, to live in peace, to walk in the way of peace. So that becomes a command to us. The question very quickly is, okay, how? How how do we do that? I, I get it. I get that there's a command to us to live in peace, but how exactly do we go about applying that in our lives? Fortunately, God has not left us without direction, without guidance in how to do exactly that. There is, in fact, a way of peace. And, and for a moment, just, just think of that phrase. Think of the picture that is there. If there's two paths, there's a way, there's a path that is peace and a path that is not peace. 
And there are practices that characterize the way of peace, the path of peace. There are, to use this phrase that I've tried to, to highlight in a couple, there are things that make for peace. And if, if there are things that make for peace, guess what? There are things that make for no peace. There are things that make for conflict and argumentation and discord and disharmony as well. You can practice the things that make for peace or you can practice the things that are the opposite of that. Now, now let me give you a quick example to, to, to flesh this out a little bit for us uh, in a verse that I, I, I suspect some of you or many of you are familiar with, one from the book of Proverbs. I heard this before. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word starts, stirs up anger. Okay? A soft answer turns wrath away. A harsh word is going to stir up anger. That's, that's illustrative of what we're talking about here. The Bible says to you, listen, there's a way of peace, and in this case, it's a soft word. And there's a way of conflict, harsh speaking, harsh words. Those are the things that will stir up conflict. So, so Jesus, as he is going into Jerusalem, laments that they don't know the way of peace. They certainly don't practice the way of peace. They don't know the way of peace. And his condemnation is that now it's going to be hidden from you. It's going to be hidden from you. The very thing that would then help you to be peaceful is now going to be hidden from you because you have rejected the way that God has established. And Paul urges the Romans to pursue what makes for peace. And though I don't have this verse in our bulletins this morning, I think we had it either in the first time or referred to it last time as well. Paul says to the Philippians uh, in Philippians 4, uh, 9, he says to them, you know, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. And the things that you've heard from me and seen in me, practice these things and what? The God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Think about these things. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul says to the Romans, just to, to, to illustrate this again, a mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. There's a, there's a practice. There's a way that contributes to peace and a way that detracts from the experience of peace. For the sons and daughters of the God of peace, the way of peace, if you will, the how-to, is revealed to us. Particularly, it's revealed to those who pursue it. So, for the sake of continuing on, let's say that you hear all of that and you say, well, great. I would like to see more peace in my life. I'd like to experience more peace in my life. I'd like to be more of a peacemaker in my life. All right, so how then do you do that? Uh, well, let me, let me oversimplify the answer to this question. There's always a risk uh, with oversimplification. But I'm going to simplify it by saying there are primary and there are secondary 
means of pursuing, striving after, living in peace. The primary means are this. Anything that gets you to the triune God is a primary means of experiencing peace. Anything. The peace comes from the Father. It is given by the Son, and peace is, as we know, a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So, the primary means of experiencing the peace of God, and there's no other way around this, there's no other thing we can say about it, there's no tricks, there's no gimmicks here, get to the God of peace. Get yourself to the God of peace. If you're not experiencing peace in your life, you've you, you got to find a way to get to God. And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, has described for us that way. Okay? The, the, again, the way isn't darkened. The way is now illumined how we do exactly that. And, and, and remember that though the poetry, the metaphor in Zechariah's song describes a, a way that is illuminated by a light, that's personal because the way and the light are in fact Jesus. So it's personal. He's using a metaphor to give us that, but, but there's a personal way to do this. So the old answers of how you walk, the ancient path of peace are right there. What's the first way? You can answer this as well. Pray. Pray. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Pray. You want more peace in your life? Go to the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. Lay up the Word of God in your heart. Uh, standing on the promises of God. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you who he hath said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Worship with the people of God. Sing and memorize the songs of faith. That's why we sing them over and over again. To memorize the songs of faith so that in the dark night they're there. In the dark night, when your soul is in turmoil, there, there, partake of the Lord's Supper. Cry out for peace for your soul. Remember your baptism. Remember what God has done graciously for you and preach the gospel to yourself. When sorely by your sins oppressed, when Satan comes to vex your spirit, when troubled conscience sighs for rest, what reason cannot comprehend God doth to thee by grace extend? Preach the gospel to yourself. And of course, I've quoted hymns all through this, just to say, memorize, learn the hymns of the faith so that you can sing these things and know of the God of peace. So without belaboring this point, the primary means of pursuing and practicing peace is get to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And then, having established the primary things, there are secondary. There are secondary means of pursuing peace, practices that make for peace. Let's look at a few of these verses again that are here in your bulletin. We'll start with the Isaiah 32 passage and then go down to the Romans 2. I referenced both of these passages in the first sermon, 
but they bear repeating here as well. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. And then Romans 2, a little bit further towards the bottom of page 6. There will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. And, and, and to say this as simply as we possibly can, what, what is being said to us here, and we could look, I mean, we're looking at the Old Testament, we're looking at the New Testament, we could look at plenty of places, is that the pursuit of peace and the experience of peace in your life is inseparably connected to the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of righteousness, the pursuit of doing that which is good. If we think, and no one, I don't think any of us would say this out loud or would confess that we think in exactly this way, but if we think by what we do, that in fact we can find peace in our lives while coddling sin at the same time, that's a lie. You can't do it. We all know that experientially. We all know that when we are engaged in sin, pick your sin, whatever it is, There is no peace at that time to be found. There's peace afterwards in the gospel of Christ. But the idea here is that in pursuing that which is good and right and true and lovely and holy and according to the law of God and according to the word of God, we will indeed find peace. It is promised to us there. So generally speaking, we can simply say that if you want to experience more peace in your life, root out sin... And put yourself on, put on the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But we can be more specific, and some of these verses here allow us to be more specific than uh, even that. These verses point us to specific practices that are good for peacemaking. Let's just say this: peacemaking involves if you're if you're going to practice things that are good for making peace. It involves the heart, it involves the mind, it involves the tongue, and it involves, if you will, the hands, doing as well. And those are all part of what are listed here. God knows, right? God knows how easy it is for us to fall into conflict with one another, right? It takes no work at all for us to fall into that kind of Uh, anger at one another, for negative thoughts about one another or expressed towards one another. It has been that way since the beginning, all right? It was that way after the fall for Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. It's been that way since the beginning. We can fall easily into conflict with one another. And so, we are warned then in these passages to be careful not just to pick fights or to dwell on things that divide us. Paul writing to Timothy, top of page 7. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. You know it. There's a way to pick fights. And and earlier in in that section right there, right at the beginning, flee youthful passions. Paul is saying to Timothy, listen... 
when you're young, you love to pick fights. You got all kinds of stuff surging through you. And, and one of the expressions of that is, let's argue about this or let's argue about that. And you are willing to engage in it. And Paul says, be careful of exactly that kind of stuff. Picking fights, stirring up trouble, complaining about others, nagging, agitating your brother or your sister for the sake of agitating your brother or your sister, berating, none of those things are spiritual gifts. Just in case you thought that one of those things was your particular gift to the world, I tell you, it's a fruit of the flesh. It's not a gift of the Spirit of God. Peacemaking is a gift of the Spirit. Look with me at this uh, First Peter passage that's in the middle of page Seven, and we'll see articulated all of the things that I just listed before. Finally, all of you have unity of mind and have a humble mind. You're going to have to think about things that relate to peace, and you're going to have to have humility as you do that. And then pointing to the heart. You have sympathy. You have brotherly love and a tender heart. If you want to cultivate peace, you cultivate those things right there. They yield peace with respect to others. And then as we go on in the passage, uh, if you want to have peace, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. All of us are well aware of how quickly we can divide and destroy with our tongues. If you want to experience to make more peace in this world, in your life, guard your tongues. And then as the passage continues, the, the, the kind of place where we came to the general statement, let him turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Now, Romans 14, I just put one verse there in your bulletin, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Uh, but it gives, if we looked at it in context, a specific example for doing good. Right prior to this, Paul has said to them, don't pass judgment on each other. Don't pass judgment on each other. Now, we would never admit that we sit here in church and judge one another. But inside, we can do that all the time. We can judge one another. We can judge what you're wearing, what you're not wearing, uh, and, and, and the way you sing or the way you don't sing, and, and half a dozen things about one another we can judge quickly. Paul says, don't judge one another, and don't put up a stumbling block for another person. The particular context here is with respect to eating, something that we've talked about in Sunday school, eating or drinking. And Paul's idea is... Is grandiose in the fact that he's talking about peace, but the application is, will you eat or not eat? Will you drink or not drink? Peace is a big idea, but it comes down to something as concrete as, what do you do with eating and drinking? How do you eat and drink in such a way that that doesn't become a stumbling block to another person? The person who is a peacemaker actually thinks about that and considers is this practice, is this what I'm doing now, going to cause another person to stumble, another person to struggle? You can work out peace in something as simple as eating or drinking. Uh, 
to, to give another example that's not in your bulletin, I already referenced the disunity, the discord that existed in the church in Corinth, and it manifested itself in any number of ways, one of which was in the public worship services that took place in Corinth, they were disorderly, raucous, apparently, affairs. And as Paul is writing to them, he's trying to say to them, listen, let's, let's bring some order to all of your lives, but let's bring some order in particular to your worship services. Why? Because God is not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. Peace. And, and, and here's the idea you can extract from that orderliness, not totalitarian orderliness, but orderliness in life, orderliness in worship, orderliness in church, orderliness in gardens, brings peace. Those are things that cultivate peace, whereas confusion doesn't. Speaking of gardens, I threw that in just so I could segue into gardens. One, one might note, and I'll close with this specific idea here, one might note that when God created a world full of shalom, he, he placed man not in a desert, but he placed man, in fact, in a garden. And within that garden, there were things that were beautiful and things that were useful, which is kind of like what we said about peace. It's both beautiful and it's useful as well. There were these trees that were for both of those things. And then, when that paradise was lost and the tabernacle was established and then the temple was established, they were adorned with things that looked a lot like Eden. There were trees and fruits that were part of the design of both of those things so that there was a communication of these things. There was a communication of shalom and the loss of it, even in the design of the temple and the tabernacle. But let's now connect that to Jesus. When Jesus wants to promote peace, when he's concerned about the anxiety that we experience as people, as opposed to peace. What does he do? What does he do to mollify that anxiety? He doesn't just say to us, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He, he does in John 20, and we saw a couple of weeks ago how grand that is. But that's not the only thing he does. He says to people who are struggling with anxiety, consider the lilies. Now, that supposes two things. One, that you know what a lily is. That you know what a lily is as compared to something else. Some of you do and some of you don't. Two, that you've taken time to consider it. Both of those things. And, and, and Jesus says, because if you'll do that, that's associated with the way of peace. That's consistent with things that make for peace. Peace is given to us. Peace with God, peace with believers, peace within as well. And then peace is set forth for us as a mission. It's given to us as a mission in which we are to engage, to pursue 
and to practice peace, inwardly, interpersonally, and upwardly with God. Use the gift that God has given to you. It is rugged, and it is tough, and it can withstand use. Don't sit back and say, I'm not a peaceful person. And just accept that as if that's the end. Don't sit back and say, well, you know, other people are more peaceful than I am. They've got this or they've got that. They're more peaceful just dispositionally than I am. God says to you, strive for it. I have given it to you. Someone I know and love, uh, and not one of the people sitting here, uh, and all of you, uh, but uh, someone I know and love received recently a sewing machine, a really nice sewing machine. But let's imagine peace within that for a moment. Let's imagine you get two things. Let's imagine you get a sewing machine and beautiful garments that someone has sewed on that machine. We'll call them the garments of salvation. Okay? So, so Jesus gives to you something beautiful, the garments of salvation and a sewing machine. And he says, listen, keep stitching. Keep sewing. I have deposited peace into this world. I'm giving you these garments right here. Join me. Join me in sewing. And the promise is then that the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you've paid attention there, there's a little bit of a tension. The tension is this. When do you get the God of peace? At the beginning or at the end? When do you get the God of peace? Maybe the peace of God comes at the beginning, but when do you get the God of peace? 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. I'm going to give the last words uh, today to Charles Hodge. Uh, he's one of the uh, great Princeton theologians uh, that Josh and I have been enjoying as we've been uh, teaching on Corinthians. He comments on this section of Corinthians with the following words, saying, Thus the existence of love and peace is the condition of the presence of the God of peace. He withdraws the manifestations of his presence from the soul, disturbed by angry passions, and from a community torn by dissensions. We have here the familiar Christian paradox. God's presence produces love and peace, and we must have love and peace in order to have his presence. God gives what he commands. That's the prayer that I started with. It's the, it's the Augustinian quote, if you're familiar with it. It's what Hodge starts with here as well. God gives what he commands. God gives, but we must cherish his gifts. His agency does not supersede ours, but mingles with it and becomes one with it in our consciousness. We work out, of, we work out our own salvation while God works in us. Our duty 
is to yield ourselves to the operation of God and to exert our faculties as though the effect desired were in our own power and leave to his almighty mystic cooperation its own gracious office. The man with the withered hand did something when he stretched it forth, although the power to move was divinely given. It is vain for us to pray for the presence of the God of love and peace unless we strive to free our hearts from all evil passions. His presence then, in turn, gives perfect peace and fills the soul with unspeakable joy and glory. It is the restoration of the original and normal relation between God and the soul and secures at once its purification and blessedness. He who has the presence of God can feel no want. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that which you have given. Help us to receive, to love, to believe, to trust that which has been given to us. And then, God of peace, so work in us by the power of your indwelling spirit, by the power of this living word, that we might become peacemakers, those who strive after it, those who are known for striving after that which is peaceful, and then be with us again, God of love and God of peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.